everybody. Welcome to this month's episode of the Female Film Critics panel. It's so much fun to do this panel. I love talking with fellow female film critics and content creators. It's so much fun. We have a great panel with us today. First, we have with us Margaret Raspberry, sometimes goes by Molly. Uh, Molly, thank you so much for coming with us. Thanks for having me. We also have with us Amanda Garaji with us. Thank you so much for coming on uh, and talking with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes. So we'd like to have you both give a chance to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about your content, what you're doing in the space of film. And why don't you start, Molly? Okay. Hi. I mostly do content for the Film Stage website, and I've done transcribing and trailer write-ups, and I've done a few few small, small snippet reviews, like they do their end of the year best films, that sort of thing. So I get to actually work on those lists and it's really a lot of fun. And I also get to work on their list to help them promote films that are unknown or not, or underrated. So I get to put movies in like, I thought this was underrated and Jordan, the editor or Jordan Rob, the editor in chief actually looks at those and gets to get to say like, yeah, this was actually a good one. Let's actually promote that. So I'm glad I get to help with that. And I mostly do my reviews on Letterboxd for right now because I mostly am just making them very small because I'm in school again. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. kind of hard to keep up with everything like that, but yeah. Oh, you do a lot though. And you're a big TCM fan, correct? Yes, I like, am. Like watching the classics. <laughs> yes, I actually am basically recording all of tomorrow's episodes. Setsukahara get, is, gets her day, Summer Under the Stars, and she's one of my favorite actresses of all time. So if you're watching, so yeah, even though this is going to be in September, September, just yeah, go watch it, you guys, if you haven't had a chance, because it's fantastic movies and some of them are not yeah. on the Criterion channel. I checked. That's great. All right, Wanda, what about you? What do you, you write and uh, do podcasts and all kinds of fun stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm an entertainment journalist and film critic. I have my own website, which is candidexcinema.com. And uh, I also started out on Letterboxd. You know, I started out on Letterboxd <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it's it's kind of, it's fun to see how Letterboxd reviews do, like do, because sometimes you can mm -hmm. write like a full-length review and people are loving it. And then you get like one-liners and they all love that too. So it's <laughs> funny to see that uh, yes. go off. Um, but yeah, I started on Letterboxd and uh, I made my website. And now I'm also editor of uh, Geek Bomb, which is an American publication. So I've been writing mm. for them as well. But uh, I've, been I've been doing reviews for anything and everything. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I've been getting you know, some interviews and just broadening, uh, you know, my palette, I guess, and uh, dabbling in everything and have a couple of podcasts with Music City Drive-In and the Cinemania World team. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun just creating content and being able to be on a social platform like Twitter and, and YouTube and just being able to collaborate with so many amazing people. I think that's the bonus of, you know, being in this industry, in this mm -hmm. field and uh, learning from everyone most importantly. So it's been fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there there is obviously a downside to social media, to Twitter, film Twitter and everything like that. But I'd still say as a whole, it's been a net positive in my life. I, I mean, everybody that I've basically interviewed in this series has been somebody I met on almost all of them and people I met on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, so it has gotten me a lot of friends. Yeah, it's a, it's a great yeah. space, but I, I 
I totally understand the dark side of the platform. So we've all been through it, but yeah, I do. The hashtag discourse. (laughs) I wonder if next week we're going to have the, is there too much sex and meat in movies right now? Or should we have more? (laughs) That's always one that comes in at least once a month. And I'm just like, as long as it's done well, please add it. I'm kind of tired, <laughs> but I'm kind of tired of this because most directors can't do it well. So right. just don't. <laughs> just don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and then just the talking about it can get a little misogynistic. Oh, definitely. Quite definitely. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. It always will go in that. There was that, um, that, that Twitter guy who was trolling everyone, except he was all, all right, everything like that, like that. And I figured that out and I immediately blocked him. And then he tried getting on, on Rosalie, um, her, her, and I had to message her and just say, he's a troll. He's not going to stop. So the best thing is to ignore them. Just don't fan the flames. And that's something I've had to learn personally, because I used to do that a lot in college, unfortunately on Facebook. Another reason I kind of avoid Facebook besides the fact it's, it's a worse than Twitter. Twitter is absolute garbage, but I still keep it just to know, just be like, oh, someone's got a cute baby. But otherwise, I'm just like, yeah. no, I'm not getting into this. I'm not getting into that. But yes, Facebook is is good for like my book club or something like, you yes. know, like coordinating events and stuff like that. It's pretty good for that. But it's it's the worst when it when anything controversial, it's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. And they don't moderate that stuff. At least with Twitter, you can actually send report. it to report mm-hmm. it, say, no, this is abusive behavior. And that's yeah. what happened to the guy. And he's had his thing think um his Twitter account banned, but now yeah. he's trying to get back on. But we all know the signs of who he is. Yeah. So we yeah. all know just like no. <laughs> when I had the death threat on Facebook, I I reported oh, it God. and they were like, well, we don't see any harm, uh, harm to yourself or whatever, no. something like that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He literally threatened to take an A47 into exactly. the screening. Exactly. Like, what more God. do you want? Like, what else could he like, do? The worst thing I got on Twitter was what just when I said Aquaman was just okay compared to one and Wonder Woman was so much better with someone calling me the C word. I'm not <gasps> yeah. sure if I'm allowed to say that here, but just saying like, you're a real C word. Yeah. It made a billion dollars. So you're, d- you're a dumb. Yeah. Mm. And oh, I was like, God. okay. In fact, I even just like, Oh, it's my first, the first time I've been called that word on Twitter. I, I made it. <laughs> Just like take yeah, the one of the that. one <laughs> of the reasons I wanted to start this series was uh, it's funny you mentioned that because Mara Reinstein, who's incredible, and she's been on this series, and she wrote a whole article on Huffington Post called "I Got Death Threats for Writing a Bad Review of Aquaman." and her experience it's a great piece and uh, it's just something I connected with it so much because I'd had a similar experience and Mm -hmm. uh she uh, she says that uh um yeah she says the b word and c word are tossed around with regularity years ago Mm -hmm. one guy commented that I must have been on my period when I saw a certain action film after I pined on a radio show a group of men found my photo and discussed my level of hotness on a forum. They knocked oh, my hair, no. my skin, my nose. Though my male counterparts get some blowback as well, I doubt anyone is ripping on them for their looks. And that is, mm-hmm. I think we can all relate to that. Oh, definitely. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one it nice is. thing about podcasting. <laughs> 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 it's just, it's just, 
it's just your voice. Uh, yeah, exactly. That is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Although I did have somebody in the reviews the other day say that I had a, a, a G awful accent. And I was like, I didn't even know I had an accent. What? I can't really hear an accent. I can't hear anything either. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Maybe it's maybe it's just to them, like how some British people are very southern sounding people. They hear someone up farther north and they're just like, where's your accent from? It's just I mean, everyone technically has an accent, but mine is just sort of I thought sort of blase American. Like, <laughs> Mine mostly is too, except when I've been drinking a little, then I'll get a little <sighs> Southern there. <laughs> so, Coronation, fix biscuits and gravy. <laughs> so Mana, I wanted to ask you, uh, you uh, are, are with a, a bunch of different, you have a bunch of different uh, podcasts and different things that you've worked with. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious how you got started kind of on that path with Cinemania and Geekly Goods and, and those, uh, those yeah. podcasts. Uh, it's, it's really funny. Actually, the story, Leo, actually, Leo Rydell at rejected underscore Leo, who kind of got his account suspended uh, from before. But uh, for Geekly Goods, you can find him on YouTube. Um, he scouted me out because he started reading uh, my reviews on my website. And then he really pushed me towards like collaborating. And I did a few uh, podcasts with him. Um, And then he introduced me to like all these other people on film Twitter. And then we started collaborating. And then it was more like, I got to know others. And with Cinemania World, uh, Dwayne Muller on uh, on Twitter as well, he reached out. So it was more of like just having an opinion on Twitter in that space and then wanting to collaborate with different people. And it just snowballed. Like I didn't expect it at all. And it was just like, I had hot takes very unpopular opinions and you know like that's uh that's why they wanted to you know reach out and work with me and then it just kind of stuck so I have to thank Leo like 100% for that to bring me into this space and uh, made me feel confident enough to even start my own YouTube channel because I was always like terrified of YouTube as a platform there's so many things that can happen with YouTube and you know I was just afraid of that but he really helped me out and uh, yeah it just snowballed Right. Uh, so Molly, I wanted to ask you about your graduate degree in film studies. And I, I've only known people that were in, that were getting their undergrad. I've never talked to anybody who got a grad in a, a graduate degree in film studies. Uh, and I know that sometimes the, my brother took a film studies class and the, it, instead of getting introduced to you know, the classics that you mm-hmm. think they would, there were all these really niche, really independent, like mm-hmm. films that, that the teacher particularly liked, which I guess could have its value. Yeah. But what has your experience been like? Do you feel like you've gotten a good, uh, a, a good basic un- education as far as film goes? I don't know. What, what has that been like for you? I think it's been very fascinating. I would I would, I do not regret doing it, especially since I went to a program that actually paid me to go. Mm. So that's the thing that a lot of people find with grad school daunting, I think, is that they believe, oh, I have to go to the best film school, or I have to do this. I have to go to NYU. I have to go to Rochester. And a part of it is just not really. I don't think everybody has to. I mean, Ohio University, the place I went, 
also has that same program too for the MFAs who are production-based and the cinematographer for Todd Haynes actually went into that program. So, but I went into the film studies in particular with that. It was a two-year program, program and each semester because I worked it, I would get like, it was like being paid part-time, but then the, I, my fee was waived to about like $600 per semester, which is like, holy yeah, that basically pays for itself in there. People find that very daunting or they think, oh, no one's going to take me seriously unless I go to this big fancy school. And it's just, I don't really agree with that. I mean, a degree is a degree. And if you want to save that money, you can do it. And you're going to get a whole new experience with that. But yeah, there are some of that, some of that with the, with teachers doing niche stuff. I had one teacher who we did for a class called historical materialism, which is based from a, from a, Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, that sort of thing. He was very socialist, socialist anarchist, actually, which I'm pretty sure some people are probably going to hear that and just be like, oh my goodness, he's just, oh my goodness, he's communist. It's like, no, no, no. He just likes Marx a lot and he studies it a lot. But we ended up watching films like Medea by Pasolini with Maria Callas and she did not sing, which was kind of amazing. And it's such a good good movie because mostly when you talk about Pasolini people just think of Sallow or 120 Days of Sodom because that's the most infamous film but he didn't really do a lot of that stuff but then on the other hand I had another teacher who taught us about with just consumerism and capitalism but using Michael Michael Bay's The Island as his example so we watched a Michael Bay film in film school and The Matrix so it's not like it's whole all that pretentiousness with that in fact, that was actually one thing, one thing some people were like, wait, you watched a Michael Bay film? It's like, yeah, and it actually makes sense. And it's kind of genius in a really bad way, you know? So, mm -hmm. so it's a way to also look at that. Also, we watched Inland Empire, the Donnie Darko's, Darko's um, director's film. So it's not like it's whole, I feel like a lot of people are more intimidated by it than what it really is because I had a lot, I thought I had a lot of stupid ideas. I did a grad school paper on the Wonder Woman, the new one. So if, and, and Ghostbusters, the remake to talk about female-led action films of the new 2010s. Mm -hmm. So, and people are just like, oh, you didn't talk about like, like those, these, um, like Christoph Kislowski or Bergman yeah, or those Bellini sorts of people. Or something. <laughs> exactly. Like, no, our teachers didn't want that. They're just like, everybody's written about that. Ritabites write about something new, a whole new idea you have. Yeah. I, yeah, I had a classmate, one of my best friends, she wrote an entire paper on the theory of societies of control using codename kids next door and fairly odd parents as her example. And she used Deleuze and Foucault to write a whole hundred page thesis on it. So you can still yeah. find, awesome. and that's why I'm also, I don't really uh, consider the highbrow, lowbrow art thing really important. And I feel that gets tossed around in Twitter a lot or the gatekeeping aspects of it. Just like, you can't judge these films as good unless you've seen this film and this film and this film. I had a bunch of classmates who never even went to film school and they did film studies because they wanted to do it and they wanted to gain this experience or they wanted to teach this. So that's how I feel too. The whole cinema mm -hmm. argument. I think exactly. that 
if it inspires you, cinema. if it entertains you, it's cinema. As far as exactly, yeah. exactly. Like what you did the Paw Patrol review, which I thought mm -hmm. was excellent. Excellent. And I'm just like, and yeah. I've seen a lot of Equestria Girl. I've seen a lot yeah. of the My Little Pony Equestria Girls movies. Yeah. So, and That's I right. think they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. So, so Monda, on your mm -hmm. website, you have a lot of, uh, of, festival coverage plus then you have the blockbuster coverage and i was just wondering how do you decide what you're going to cover for your site oh man um i try to do especially when it's festival season i love <clears throat> i love going like deep into the oscars and uh that's always something that i've done since i was a kid my dad kind of showed me the ropes and uh I've been like casting a ballot since I was like eight years old, <laughs> not even knowing what the movies were about since then. So um, he really got me into that. So that's always where I want my focus. But obviously the blockbusters, uh, they're, they're much more personal to me. I think growing up with like Marvel films or DC films, it's just a different side. And I'm not saying you can't have fun with Oscar films, it's not what I'm saying, but um, it's, it's just a different vibe entirely. I just love talking about movies. So I know that for even, I guess, critiquing like an Oscar film is gonna be very different than critiquing like a Marvel or DC film like that or a franchise film. So I feel like even when writing it, you do have to like switch up your voice in certain mm -hmm. ways, but it's still fun to be able to reach out like to different audiences and, and just have that conversation about movies that we all love. Yeah, I, I think it's good to have a mix. I mean, I cover everything from the Hallmark movies to the to the big, you know, animated films, Disney releases, things like that. And yeah, I don't know. I it's yeah, it's variety is the spice of life, as they say. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's just fun. Like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's I'd yeah, say I wouldn't so, want to just oh I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I would say I wouldn't want to just review art house films or foreign language films all the time. I want spice too. Just like mm -hmm. yeah. just like animated features. Give me those good, give me some good shows, that sort of thing like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So I was gonna ask both of you, what do you think is a maybe a, a film from 2021 that maybe isn't getting enough love? You can give a shout out to it or something that you like really enjoyed. You both have been to some of the festivals, right? Yeah, I did yeah. do Sundance. I'm just like Sundance was so good. I'll start while you it guys are was. thinking. Yeah, I'm gonna go to London. So I <laughs> same. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, Together Together. I don't know if you got a chance to see this one. It was so fun. Yeah, I, I really did. Thought it was good. Nicole Beckwith, uh, writer director. Uh, I just because mm -hmm. I, I cover. Hallmark movies and I I cover a lot of romantic movies obviously and this was so refreshing to me to have a platonic friendship celebrated in film you never see it and uh, I I didn't even know that Patty Harrison was trans when I like I saw reviewed the film it didn't matter like it doesn't it doesn't matter like as long as she's great for the role but like I thought that was really cool that I didn't know. And you know what I mean? Like it, it was just, she was the right person for the role. And it, it, it was, I thought that was really kind of cool that we're, cause you representation is important, but I think it's also like important that like anybody can be qualified and cast in a role that they're qualified for. 
and it doesn't yeah. it didn't yeah. like have to be this big like message point of this of this of the film if that makes exactly. sense i thought that was really cool once i found out I was like, wow she's <laughs> very impressive anyway i thought they had great chemistry and it was just so refreshing to me to see a movie about a platonic friendship um did you get to see that one manda yeah, I did. I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I, I like I like you said, like the representation does matter, but the emphasis doesn't always have to be on like a coming out story or what yeah. you have to go through. So yeah, I definitely appreciated the same things that you did for that film. Yeah. What about you, Molly? What's something you've enjoyed this year? I think I just found one on Letterboxd that I really enjoyed. And I do know that the I do know Film Stage really liked it too, but I think it's kind of been lost in the Wayfair. All Light Everywhere, the documentary. I'm not sure if you guys saw it at Sundance. Sundance, the documentary about, about well, it starts out about police cams and how everything's looking at, but it's also discussed about ways of seeing. And it's, I almost feel this is going to be my film film studies talking. I almost feel it's like the unofficial sequel to, to Giga Vertov's Man with the Movie Camera. So mm -hmm. that idea of what the camera could do, except how our lives lives are envisioned through the camera eye itself. So it was very fascinating to look at. I don't think it's going to be everybody's cup of tea, unfortunately, but I do know it will probably be a fixture of a lot of film studies classes. And I really enjoyed it with that, with that at least on the documentary front. So mm -hmm. I will give a shout out to All Light Everywhere. I need to see that. I, I missed it, but it's... Did you get, did you see users at Sundance? I did not. I did yes. not, unfortunately. I could only do one, a, a couple days, that source. I can oh, only do okay. like, like, like two days of, of things like that. Cause I also had class at the time and I was like, yeah, oh, I, it won all these awards and stuff. But I thought it was, yeah. I did not like <laughs> it at all. And, <laughs> and it's frustrating when something that sounds like what you saw was actually like a a better version of this kind of idea yeah um and uh, I, th I think it won one of the best documentary features at Sundance at mm -hmm. least so at least it got some awards award oh, recognition good. and I think it has yeah. been bought for distribute distribution thank goodness that's the one thing I always hope for yeah because yeah. I end up watching two years ago 2019 I watched a really good Sundance film with Holiday Granger Animals and Alias Chalkat was in it too and nobody bought it and I was just like nobody else is gonna see it and it's so good so that's it, one of my biggest fears yeah. with with film festivals it was you, a yeah. good season uh, for Sundance for documentaries because mm -hmm. Flea was really good that's an animated yeah. documentary and then also I loved Misha and the Wolves that mm -hmm. movie blew my mind and I won't say anything else about it because it's best if that is one movie it's best if you go in mm -hmm. completely unspoiled it's I had my, my mouth was on the floor. I couldn't really <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but what about you, Mona? What did you think of something from this year? Um, I'm, I love, I love what Ben Wheatley does. So I kind of lean towards like in the earth and I, the film isn't his strongest, it's not his best by no means. But when I watched it at Sundance, I think it was like the third night premiere at 9 PM one of the trippiest experiences mm -hmm. of my life, that movie. And he put me in a trance with um, 
with you know being in that forest and you know the two the two leads like just getting completely lost mm -hmm. in there with one person coming after them like it was just really really well done the sound design was really cool and uh it was it took place during the pandemic it's the first like you know pandemic film of that year that they kind of uh, put out but i thought it was really interesting mm -hmm. and um yeah, I was in a trance. I kind of got lost in it for a little bit. But uh, I heard I that one was good. I didn't see it, but I heard it was good. Yeah, There's was... been some really good stuff at the festivals this year. They were it's good. been um, it's been really good. I mm -hmm. I loved out of speaking of uh of pandemic films, I mm -hmm. loved in uh from South by Southwest a movie called Recovery mm. that I thought was really funny. And it, it'll be interesting to watch it now or even maybe even a year from now because it it is it is all it's all about these two two girls who drive from drive from new mexico to oregon to rescue their grandma who's in this covid uh nursing home mm -hmm. thing and it manages to be really funny but it'll be interesting once we're sort of away from that experience if it's as funny as it was yeah, but right. i laughed a lot i thought yeah. it was very good <laughs> That's why I'm always I, reticent to call something a mass, like an instant classic or masterpiece. Agreed. That sort of thing. It's like you gotta, you gotta wait. You gotta mm -hmm. wait for time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I always ask in this series, I ask for your opinion of you feel is important about having female voices in criticism versus just a review is a review. Does it not matter who's written in the review? What do you think, uh, Molly, about that? Okay. Well, for starters, bias is a huge part of that. And I'm thinking of the example, I'm not sure if you guys have seen the film Book Club, the book club mm -hmm. with Jane Fonda. I thought it was super cute and very sweet, but I noticed there was this, when I started reading reviews, it was gotten the rotten score, but most of the bad reviews were from men and most of the good ones were from women because they actually really liked seeing these these older actresses, Candace Bergen, all these people getting to be sexual, getting to date. And yes, they read Fifty Shades of Grey and I did not care about that, but it's like they're getting into their inner desires, that sort of thing. When male critics are just like, I don't really get that or really feel that and that sort of thing. And it's just, I think we need more female voices to actually speak up for films that are not generally for men in that regard, in that sense, because some things are just not for men and some things are not just, I mean, I think even Roger Ebert pointed it out for his review of Twilight that said, I am not the general audience for this, but I'm at least going to give it two and a half stars. Okay. Even though I hate it because the people who this movie is made for is going to love it. And I don't think a lot of male critics, especially, I'm not, I shouldn't generalize like that, but I don't think they really get to that or they really think about that. They're thinking about their perceptions and not thinking like, oh, will this audience like it? So I think that gets lost a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you say about book club because I give that a positive review as well. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I remember one of my friends, they were reviewing it and they were talking about the special effects on the plane flight scene. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, what? That doesn't matter at all. Like, oh, no, who cares no. about who that? Cares? Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with this movie. Like, who cares? Exactly. <laughs> like, Let know, older just, women drink yeah. wine and have sex, okay? Yes. Not <laughs> <laughs> Andy Garcia yes. being super dreamy. I know he was. Exactly. <laughs> like, I was just like, dang, he didn't get him. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was into it. I was, I was into it. Mana, what do you think about this question? Oh, I, I, I completely agree with, with uh, what Molly said. It's the fact that we need to have more female voices, but we also see things through a different lens. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's really important on and off screen, like in the writer's room, all of that, like it needs to be kind of like a domino effect and then we all help each other out in that way to like lift these voices and have them there because for like an example I absolutely adore Mamma Mia yeah like I I love it it's fun I enjoy Meryl Streep adult that whole cast come on like they're it's just fun like I don't need to sit there and have other people man try because (laughs) it's a musical and it's like it's not fun it's not it's like okay but you have to like cast aside the fact that we're not looking for masterpieces. We're not looking for that. It's something that's going to warm our hearts Mm -hmm. and just have fun with it. And I think that even in this climate right now, it's hard to find films that are like that. You know, they're just generally like wholesome. And I think that's why, even though it's a TV show, like Ted Lasso is a massive hit because it's just such a sweet show and it's so much fun to watch and you don't have to like overthink anything or Mm -hmm. it's just it's a beautiful show but like stuff like that is very hard to find so when we Mm -hmm. have something like a Mamma Mia or you know the book club or something like even Palms would I think would die it was dying keen in that I think so some gems like that we should boost it and promote it Mm -hmm. because you know there is an audience for it as Molly said so um yeah I think it's really important just for us too as women to Mm -hmm. just even have those conversations amongst ourselves because we're allowed to (laughs) you know well and I think especially me being somebody who covers Hallmark content Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that there are female voices that are providing critical analysis for content that is for the most part made for women. Like if we're not out there saying mm, this one isn't good, this one mm-hmm. is good, yes. you know, kind of a thing, then, mm-hmm. then it's just all going to, it's, it's, it's going to be a total crapshoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we need it's some true. feedback that they know, because, because let's be real. Most of the people making these decisions are men. And yes. so yes. we, we need to be there saying, nope, that one wasn't good. That was a, yeah. not a good romance. That was no, not no. a good, yeah. you know, female superhero movie or whatever it might be. Yeah, if they're making exactly. something for us, we need to have people that are on the, on the scene, analyzing it and talking about exactly. it, providing feedback. I think and, and not just, and not just women, but also we need people of color for that yeah. people, people yeah. of different sexual orientations, different gender, gen, different Mm -hmm. genders we need all that as well so then because this was also an issue in film school because there were a lot of of films and sort of things that people would actually direct but then and especially white people it's mostly white people we saw this with they would direct something and they try to do like a racial story or that sort of thing but they didn't discuss it with any of the black classmates or any of the hispanic classmates or anyone like that or muslim classmates to and then it's like and then they you watch it it's like this is actually kind of offensive and i know you were really really just focused trying to make this but you didn't ask for opinions from these from these these others, these classmates, even though it's not going to be at a film festival and everything, it still happens in the real world. And they need to ask, they need to have these questions asked. And it's not going to happen if we don't allow women into the boardrooms or women into these pre-production stages where they can actually take, like, 
take the assistant director aside and say, you need to tell the director this, there's some issues with this or something like that. And I know it's more complicated than that. I do know that, but that's just what has to happen. And it's not happening, unfortunately. Yeah. And there's going to be some growing pains as mm -hmm. they try badly to make more <laughs> content for different voices mm -hmm. uh, and there'll be some success and then some others not great, but that's yeah. why we need these, we need critics in there mm -hmm. talking about it and, uh, and giving them guidance of what, yes. of what kind of what we, what we like and how things turn out. And uh, I think it's, it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you feel, how would you answer the question of, are you optimistic about the state of film? Because on one hand, there's more content that is being made than ever before. And there are so many outlets that people can have their films and shows and other ideas mm -hmm. produced. So many different services and different things. But on the other hand, like we're, we've never been more nervous for the state of, of, mm -hmm cinemas mm -hmm. and uh certainly bigger production films uh, what's going to happen uh, i don't know how do you feel monda about that would you say you're optimistic or a little bit pessimistic oh man um i'm optimistic for streaming services i think that they are especially netflix they came in guns of boys and we're going to put out everything even if it's bad but we're still going to put out everything we're going to have that representation um as of recent, like even like the Fear Street trilogy, there was great representation in there for you know people of color and LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that they're doing right. Not that they're all like amazing, but they're still trying their best to put as much on their platform. So I think for streaming services, I'm very optimistic about what they have in store for us. As for the theaters, after working in a theater for like seven years, I've noticed the shift within you know those seven years where more people are going to come in, not know what the hell is playing. This is literally the general audience. And the first thing they're going to do is go for a franchise film because you're spending $20 to go watch something and it better be fun and it better be good. So they're not going to take that gamble on independent films or dramas for like Oscar season, for example. So we have to look at more of like the general audience in that scope versus people who actually love going to the cinema and love going to watch these films. So I think I'm more optimistic for streaming. Um, I'm, I'm really sad about what's happening in the theaters and, you know, how franchises have tied into what the box office entails and what they need moving forward. So you would still have people that would just come in and be like, I'm going to see something tonight. Yeah. They would yeah. ask me, I would get like at least 10 people. Really? Yeah, I swear to you. And then they'd <laughs> ask me and I'm like, I'm like, what do you normally go for? And then that's how I would kind of gauge it and not give them an independent film. So it's it's that kind of situation. Or if I know that the um, independent film was good, I kind of push them towards that. So, you know, I, I swayed people. That's rightfully yeah. so in a box office. I love that because it's so easy to find out what's playing. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't just look before no. you, you went. Like, I love the fact that people are doing that. I haven't done that for a long time. Uh, I used to do that at the art house theater, which still hasn't reopened. Hopefully mm -hmm. it will soon here in Salt Lake. Uh, but uh, I used to go just for like a Saturday and I'd be there all day. Uh, and uh, I would see whatever um, was worked in the times. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up seeing Wild Rose, which is mm -hmm. one of my favorites of recent years. I oh, absolutely so good. loved awesome. that movie. 
And uh, so, yeah, it was just, it fit in right between two other films, the other two I didn't like, but then I ended up really <laughs> so, That's cool. I, I'm glad that people are still doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Molly? Would you say you are optimistic or a little bit pessimistic? I would say I'm a little pessimistic, but I'm not going to go all the way like how my film professors are just like film has been dead since the 80s and we killed it and it's just been new it's just been media and content that's all it is I'm like no I'm not going to go that far I do still cringe when somebody when it's called content drop and it's a show or a movie that just came in and I'm just like that's not content. I don't like that phrase, <laughs> but <laughs> it's just a nitpick of mine. Okay. Okay. I still actually say like, like I'm going to the pictures, that sort of thing like that. Like, like Marty Scorsese does, does mm-hmm. he's just, I'm just like, he gets so happy about it. So I say, so I start saying like, Oh, the film, the cinema, but I think it's very interesting what streaming has done because streaming, I think is going to be the new home for middle of the road films like that used to dominate a lot in cinema but now it has been filled with so much franchise because we're very we're living in a very postmodern society that prefers familiarity like Amanda's talked about and especially when we're going to put our money towards it and we don't really have a star system much anymore like we used to there's no movie that's like oh I have to go see it because Betty Davis is in it or I have to go see it Clark Clark Gable's in it Sidney Poitier's in it because you don't really really have that much anymore yeah more, unfortunately and that was a big way you could actually do that but I think the closest I can think that. of is The Rock and yeah he's had his, yeah. He's had his uh you know Baywatch and things like that yeah. I know I did not care for Baywatch but yeah it was bad like it just didn't like even his name can't save a bad movie exactly it just it just can't it just it really can't and I am interested to see how it goes I'm wondering how I'm wondering if there's going to be like combinations of VR virtual reality that sort of thing that people are going to try with movies I'm wondering if that's going to be a thing thing because um progressive artists like Lori Anderson have already tried that I didn't I saw an exhibit that she made for her own movie slash music cd about it and it was virtual reality and everything like that just to see how we do that and also how we have to connect how well we're streaming and everything and everybody's staying home so much other out entertainment outlets like video games are now taking over as the biggest as the dominant entertainment forces there and people are now gonna have to consider video games are which they are but Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure there are people on film twitter who are going to argue about that but i think I'm a realist, but with a bit of pessimism in a sense that I think cinema is always going to be there. There's always going to be an audience for it, especially depending on where you live. I live in a capital city, so I go to Alamo Draft House, and there are people that get excited when the new Neon or A24, like film studios are basically, basically like the advertising thing. There are people that will go see the film just because those companies bought it and are distributing it, not because of what they know the content is. I went to a net and over half the people in there had no idea what they were watching. But oh. and the oh boy, green night was also surprise. I know that baby, <laughs> that puppet baby was amazing. And I treasured that little baby Annette. Okay. I love that. I love that fun. Pinocchio-esque puppet. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And there are other other things. Yeah. And also the Green Knight, over half the crowd I watched it with were just like, like, what is this? I thought yeah. this was gonna be like King Arthur or something like that. Or like, no, I, not really. I literally had 
I'm not even joking. The entire audience was high school kids for the oh, night. And I'm like, oh, really? what made you come here? And they A24. were 24. I guess, but they were comment, <laughs> like the running commentary was hilarious for me. They were in shock of what was happening. And I'm just sitting there laughing, like, okay, yes. <laughs> I had, when I was working at a movie theater, I had people walk out of hereditary and somebody just screamed yes. out loud saying, like, that was the worst effing movie I ever yeah. saw in my life. Don't watch that movie. <laughs> Yeah. this movie sucks like screaming in the lobby like at 11 p.m at night with a whole crowd coming in to see it because scary movies are also really popular too not just yeah. franchises but scary movies because people really want that thrill in their life and they're just so it's very fascinating to see that but those those movie studio those distributors can market the movie just by their by their brand alone then they have the brand a24 literally sells their brand on t-shirts and sweatshirts now so yeah, yeah. house so, yeah places mm -hmm. like that exactly. the, the the thing i'm going to be very interested to see what happens because now we've had even movies that have done fairly well in the uh in this pandemic time have still for the most part lost money mm -hmm. uh, because the budgets were so huge on some yes. of these movies mm -hmm. and so i'm very curious kind of the next sort of cycle of of green light lighted projects mm -hmm. if we're going to see a lot of scaling back and lower budgets and i mean just because how how long can they sustain literally losing hundreds of millions of dollars on these films. I mean, I, I think that if they do end up releasing James Bond in November, it is going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. it, it's just impossible. Like no for time it. to delay, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm just so sick of hearing about it at this point. I don't even want Oh I God. know, I know. It's like that. It's like that video of just of the SNL episode that that was right before the pandemic with Daniel Craig going, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs> You're just like, I'm just exhausted, ladies and gentlemen. No time to die. <laughs> I'm just like, I feel so bad for him having to keep doing that and having to promote it. I think, yeah. I think other actors like Leia Sado and like Ana de Armos are just like, I have other things to do. Bye-bye. I'm fine. Yeah. It's but, just, I don't oh, know. It, I just, how much longer can these studios keep losing so much money on, I mean, even something like Jungle Cruise that, mm -hmm. that did fairly well for, for what it is, it's still mm -hmm. going to lose a ton of money yeah. for Disney. And I don't know. So I'm just curious. I think the next wave of green light projects, it just seems like they have to be tighter budgets. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, I, I you know, we've seen a lot of interesting films that have been made under yeah. really tight budgets. Yeah. And I mean, I think this whole suicide squad thing, I didn't, I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but, but I think it's pretty clear that if it had been made that the budget 188 million dollars was yeah. completely ridiculous for that film yeah it was it was yeah. it really was <laughs> so i that's where i'm curious and if people are expecting huge big movies going forward mm -hmm. that's where i would be pessimistic i don't know if we're gonna how much more well, in games and yeah, movies yeah. like that we're gonna see for a while yeah. films like this they used to be like semi-annual or just like 
once a year yeah because titanic was not the norm that was an anomaly and people were just like wait you have a film that's over 150 million dollars james cameron you are stupid and he said all right if i lose money and i fail this and he has a gun in his desk i don't know if he still had it but he has it he said if i lose box office failure this is going to be my answer for right here to my head and good thing because then we good thing it was a box office success and is now made even more money again than avatar because it was re-released mm. in china check his desk before the sequels come out. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Sequel. make sure it's gone now my friend i remember her telling me that in high school because she loved james cameron and i was like what why would you have this that sort of thing but it really is like that and the fact they give it away so freely especially to male directors who have screwed up more or who haven't who only had one success at sundance or something like that that was the issue with fan four stick as i call it was joss trank and all those and those sorts of things where where it's just like he did no let him work up to that like chloe zhao had to work up to it and had to win an academy award to be trusted with a budget like that and so and ava duvarnay had to do that had to work up towards it and also be trusted yeah, and look what happened to her with wrinkle in time i know and i actually yeah. kind of like that film oh, really? so i guess i'm yeah. too attached to the book uh, I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I, I see. I see. I can see that though. I see that though. I guess um, that's one of my unpopular opinions. Yeah. I actually kind of like people in time. But, but Monica, yeah. you have a bunch of big name projects on your uh, your wall there, a bunch of films. And so are oh. you, uh, do you show the nervousness about uh, the big blockbusters going forward? Um, I think if it's like Disney making them, I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to have an issue for some reason. <laughs> I think that I'm, I'm fairly confident that if it's Disney making these films, um, the budget won't be as much of an issue, but I completely understand like where you're coming from um, with other franchises. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think I think Disney's, Disney's a machine at this point. So I don't think anything will stop them including like losing at the box office. I know they're upset about it, but um, I think the premier access angle i really appreciated that they wanted to make it more accessible for people i think that's my angle with all of this um even you know that's why streaming is just incredible now and you have so many different streaming services and and platforms for people to watch these even older films doesn't necessarily have to be like netflix originals but like Mm -hmm. there's so many different libraries and now that prime even bought mgm like that's massive Mm -hmm. too because then you're going to have those old mgm musicals that everyone you know grew up with and can pass down to others so for me it's more about the accessibility and if they can mm-hmm. kind of join it even like the 45 day window that shang chi is gonna do for disney and premier acts um for disney and you know disney plus i i, I think if they develop some sort of balance mm-hmm. and not worry about the box office too much i know that's mm-hmm. like that's terrible to say not to worry about the box office but um <laughs> i think if they lean towards accessibility we can um kind of restore balance to cinema and movies in general and the way people view them. Well, let's talk about our unpopular opinions as we do every time on this show. And I've talked about most of my big unpopular opinions, but I thought this time I would just talk about just the fact that I feel like covering Hallmark movies alone 
is kind of in the world of film Twitter, a little bit like unpopular, like they're not something to get a ton of love outside of the mm -hmm. like people who love them. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I think that what they're, if people gave them a chance and actually mm -hmm. tried like some of the good ones, they would see that these are really cute romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. And it's something that has just been missing for so long from the, from cinema. I mean, you get every once in a while, you get a crazy rich Asians or mm -hmm. something like that, but for the most part, romantic comedies were just gone from the cinema. Yeah. And so people had nowhere else to turn to but Hallmark yeah. and they filled the void very yeah. well. They have charming actors and actresses that have, you know, that they get good chemistry. They have good writers. And, and so I think that I really do think if people had an open mind and gave the good ones a shot, they would enjoy it. They would enjoy mm -hmm. them. If you're, if you're open to romantic comedies at all. And Christmas movies. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I do yeah. want to see the Hallmark film with a Fran Drescher and she's yes. trying to set up set up, set up her yeah. son with the cute guy next door, that sort of thing. Yeah, and there's no like gay angst or anything like that. It's just really cute and sweet. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to see that movie. That looks so cute. And everything yeah. like that. That one's for lifetime. It's called the Christmas lifetime. setup. Oh yeah. And it was so That's cute. Oh, I need it to was watch so that. good. Yeah. Yes. Really, really good. And yeah, she, she has a um, straight son and a gay mm -hmm. son and it's just the same. And she's yep. like equally kind of busy body matchmaker for both mm -hmm. of them. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Yes. And, and I actually absolutely adore Fran Drescher. I actually got an interviewer before that movie oh, and yeah. I awesome. love her so much. Awesome. She's great. And I hope uh, I hope her nanny musical is going well. She's doing yeah, that with too. Rachel Bloom yeah. last time I heard, yeah. and they they had a snag because Adam Schlesinger died of COVID, unfortunately. And he was doing one of the main composers, so that oh, was very upsetting. Yeah. So that's why it's hit a slag. But I'm hoping it's they're still working on it. They she's bad on her Instagram. Her you know going working on it, mm -hmm. and so I think so. Yay. I think, and I can't wait. I will be there in New York for sure. Yes, for that. <laughs> Awesome. I'll make a trip. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I definitely make a trip for that. I don't. What would you want? What's an unpopular opinion that you have had to deal with? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get really heated during Oscar season, and kind uh, of, I kind of gave that up after this fiasco with Hustlers that Oscar season. I personally did not like that movie whatsoever. Oh, I I know I didn't like. It's the okay. Movie. I didn't like the way they painted uh, sex workers because it was an entire controversy behind the scenes that they didn't actually. Mm -hmm. Um, use the proper story or give credit to mm. the actual women who went through mm. that so it was a whole situation with Hustlers that I, uh, I didn't vibe with it um, there were some great moments in Hustlers I personally did not think Jennifer Lopez uh, should have gotten a, a nomination for it and that was the massive unpopular opinion that I had during that <laughs> Oscar season um, yeah. so I kind of just never talk about that movie because mm. I had people just attacking me left like left right and center for for that one so um yeah hustlers is one of the unpopular opinions yeah. one of the movies <laughs> i never talk about i shelved it and uh, i tried to keep it low-key during oscar season now because i just don't need anything else blowing up at this point yeah the so. oscars season discussion can be intense i really did not like judy i did not think that renee zeller i did not really win. care for it either yeah. <laughs> i was just like what? 
<laughs> it was not good. I'm probably going to go through that again with respect. respect. <laughs> oh, my mom's trying to take, make me go to take her to go see that. And I'm like, I'm afraid it's going to be another Judy thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, I feel like every time some a musical like that, a musical biopic, music yeah. biopic like that happens, everybody says, watch Walk Hard before you see, before yeah. you make it, because Walk so Hard just parodies it. Just because you everywhere. look like somebody does not mean you deserve an Oscar. No. It's That's the makeup. Give it to the yeah. makeup. Exactly. <laughs> and even then, even, even then, there's some actors that can actually just like, even not really looking like them, they could, right. uh, they are just so good at acting that it True. works. Like the movie, My Week with Marilyn. I'm thinking yeah. about that one with Michelle Williams. She barely looked anything like Marilyn Monroe, but the yeah. way she, her, her affect and the way she mm -hmm. walked and the way she mm -hmm. talked and everything and the way her acting was just so good. I could see Marilyn right there. Yeah. And that worked, worked well. And yeah. that was a movie that only had a $10 million budget and it got Oscar nominated. <laughs> so, go. yeah. so yeah, yeah. Were, I mean, I've had movies that have won Best Picture that I really didn't like. I did not like a uh, Birdman. I did oh not like Birdman either. <gasps> oh, really thank God. Thank God. I was like, because, yeah, that yeah. fourth season. No, Birdman. I didn't. I yeah. have issues with the director. I think he's very egotistical and it's, he's very much a big fan of the auteur theory. And he it's thinks overrated. these are my movies, everything like that. Like yeah. if you see his Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritos, if you see his filmography up to Birdman before that, he only had one screenwriter with him. And then, but then they got into a huge argument because the screenwriter said films are a collaborative process, everything like that. And Alejandro's like, no, 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 it's my picture, that sort of thing like that. And they got this whole argument about, about that. And then mm -hmm. they broke up a whole friendship over it. And so that's why Birdman had like five screenwriters and it's still one best screenplay with five screenwriters. I'm just like, how? I think because they, people loved the one take and I'm like, fine, mm -hmm. give Lubeski the best cinematography. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it. give Russian, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. Russian arc is boring and it's all one take too. <laughs> but I still find it more interesting than Birdman, but yes. He, he, he was, I mean, I just think that movie was the least worthy of all of the nominations yeah. that's that yeah. year. You had something like Whiplash, you had, uh, you had uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, yes. you had Boyhood, I, I mean, yeah. all bad. I know Boyhood was so much better. Even John Stewart said they didn't even give the best picture to the best picture. <laughs> like, yes, it's true. It's true. Boyhood it just, was so much better. It annoyed me in that movie how I felt like every single female character was a shrew, was mm -hmm. terrible. Yes. Was I mean, and basically Edward Norton's characters is is wants to basically rape Nomi, yeah. wants his character mm -hmm. on stage to be more yeah. authentic. Method and acting. <laughs> and the the whole credit was so cringeworthy. I just I thought, oh, let me pray. Yeah, I, just, I know. And, I know. And then the ending, I hated it so much. Oh I know. God. So I'm, I'm glad we, we should do a Birdman or rant. <laughs> <laughs> we should. Yes. <laughs> you I have on your yeah. Like when I, I, do, your... I did see like one star review and they brought up exactly why I liked it. It's just egomania trip for the director. And I'm just like, yeah. it seriously does really feel that, even though I thought Michael Keaton should have gotten best actor for that. I don't think that um, Eddie Redmayne should have gotten it, mm -hmm. but that's the only Oscar I would have given that film yeah. just for well, Michael Keaton. I would Keaton. have given it to Lubezki. I thought he deserved it. Yeah. Oh, and Lubezki, yeah, for cinematography, but, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I completely agree on 
I mean, again, another example, just because you look like someone doesn't mean you deserve the Oscar. Yeah, no. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of those films, I did not care for The Revenant. I guess that's my, one of my unpopular opinions that people would disagree <laughs> with me with. I did not really yeah. care for it. I'm just like, isn't the point of movies is acting and pretending not yeah. real? Like even on Australia's point, I like, like, Alejandro Gonzalez Inurito presents Jackass. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, no, no one should have yeah. to eat real bison heart when you're a vegetarian to win an Oscar. No one should have to sleep in an animal carcass or anything like that. No one yeah. should. Like, no, it's I messy agree. gone mad. Sure. I was like, yeah. And it, and, got, I was just, and it got best, it got nominated for best production design when the yeah. whole point of the movie was that it was all outside. outside. I know. <laughs> it's like, Congratulations, Award nature. <laughs> Here, here's your Oscar, nature. No. <laughs> here's your Oscar, nature. Way to go on the snow. Exactly. Way to go, nature. Thanks for climate change not destroying you yet. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess another unpopular opinion, I hate The Greatest Showman, and I'm only remembering that because they it started playing again when I was at a restaurant. It plays everywhere. Every week I hear a song from it, and I'm reminded of it. And because I was kind of, I worked at the movie theater, and I had and I had coworkers who watched it and were coming out crying in tears. And then I see it, and I'm like, this movie's bad why is why do people like this movie yeah. why do why and it had six editors i was like i enjoyed it what? i get it i yeah. i don't know it i just liked the songs and i thought it was catchy but yeah. i understand why other people don't like it <laughs> i feel like i'm like one of the lone female critics who didn't like it or like i'm like i'm but, sorry i did it i am not one to be trusted around musicals i love musicals <laughs> i love musicals too so that's why i was especially like what's yeah. wrong with me because i was thinking everybody else loves it what's wrong with me yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah i just well, did not care for it at all i know many people that it was extremely popular here in utah uh oh, it, yeah. i think we sold actually per capita the most tickets for one theater was no, in no. utah wow. it was very 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 popular it was here, also but... it's also very chaste entertainment too i yes. will say it, it's the it, huge a big mormon population would really yeah. love that too not yeah, to stereotype it's got a big, like pro-marriage and <laughs> yeah. it's also mm -hmm. got like a certain degree of of the type of theatricality yeah. that's very popular here <laughs> And it's got the, when are you coming home, daddy tropes that, that they're so familiar with that some people are like, I like it. I'm like, I don't like this. These kids do not sound like real kids to me. Like they're saying like, you need real people in there, dad. Like you are a four-year-old child. You should not be telling him to make a circus kid. <laughs> like, Mon, yeah. did you like The Greatest Showman? Where were you? Where do you stand? I was in the middle. I enjoyed it. I think it was more like, oh my God, Zac Efron's back in a musical. And I was like throwing yeah. it back to like high school yes. musicals. Like, yay, that was good. I think that was the draw for me. And Hugh Jackman oh, yeah. was a gem. But I was, you know, I was I was in the middle with it. I enjoyed some songs, but it was a bit slow for me. I think the pacing was off and that's why I didn't really vibe with the musical. But yeah. like, yeah, I was in the middle. It was a good time, but I didn't yeah. like love it. My <laughs> friend Camille and I went to the sing-along and we had so much fun. Oh, <laughs> we I love it. 
we were like standing up the whole time like because we were there were only like two other people in the theaters so. <laughs> now when i'm just thinking that song i'm thinking yeah. of like the cgi horses clopping clopping to the beat that sounds like yeah. the panic at the disco song Tell me, do you want to go da, da, da. <laughs> clop 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 <laughs> clop clop i'm just like i just oh, think God. of that <laughs> well, so then we also uh, always ask what is something that you've either written or done or or a podcast you've been a part of that you would say you feel proud of and one that I thought of, I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of different people, uh, mostly over at Hallmarkies podcast, but all over the place. And uh, sometimes people are really nervous about being uh, on a, an interview. And there was one, I won't tell her name, but there was one author who, this is her first book that she was publishing through Hallmark Publishing. And she was obviously very proud of it, very excited, but she was so nervous about being on an interview. I mean, I must have had half a dozen, <laughs> maybe more emails from her back and forth saying, you know, what about this? And what about this? And I was like, it's going to be great. I promise we'll edit it. We'll give you a chance to listen to it ahead of time. If you didn't like it, you can, you know, so I tried and, <laughs> and we did the interview and she was so sweet and so great, but I spent like probably a whole day editing that interview because I wanted it mm -hmm. to be perfect because I wanted her to have a really great experience. And I had to cut out so many filler words, so many ums and uhs and <sighs> whatever. I mean, so many, <laughs> it took me hours okay. to edit that podcast, but when it came out, she was sharing it with everybody and she seemed to really love it. And I just felt like ever since then, she was so much more confident. Mm -hmm. She's now had like two, three books. That's and I, I just feel like that was something that I was able to kind of give to her this sort of confidence boost and make her feel good. And that was something I was proud of, you know, that I could do and uh, made it, you know, worth, uh, cause it's not like it's the kind of interview that's going to get like tons of views and downloads and whatever, but it was something I could do for a person that made a difference. And that made me feel, that made me feel good. I love that's it. awesome. Uh, what about you, Molly? What do you have? Well, I feel like I had two things. One was a was a review, a full length, a full, a full review for the movie Joker because I despised that movie so much. And it wasn't, and it was because I feel it it was betraying its own message in regards to to how we need to, they they the lower class and stuff needs to rise up and that sort of thing like that. Or you should feel bad for the poor people when it's obviously not trying to make the rich people look terrible or that sort of thing because it's not willing to commit to that message because the director Todd Phillips is a millionaire slash and he and he's like no I don't want people to really think this is a revolutionary film or that anything like that and I was just like and it's just nihilistic for no purpose whatsoever and I'm meant to sympathize with the mass murderer like because he has mommy issues so that was a huge that was one thing and i think i did get some backlash for it on my letterbox review but most people were not going to read it because it was like three pages long they're like too long didn't read you suck you hated joker I'm like that's why okay. blogging is i think so i, I don't know if you'll y'all agree it's so much better than youtube even though mm -hmm. i do you know podcasts on youtube but like mm -hmm. it, it just takes more effort to actually read a blog 
yeah, as opposed to a video. So if I ever yeah, have anything true. controversial, I always just put it directly onto the blog, not on yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I need. I needed to work on that part. I think one thing that actually got published on the film stage, it was just a regular trailer write up for this movie, The Columnist. And I'm not proud. And it's not because I'm proud of it, because I, I thought it was very well written or anything like that. I did have to do some research because it was from Denmark, everything like that. So you have to do that research to see how that stage is. So and I always do that mm -hmm. requisite research, even if it's only going to be 100 to like 300 words but it got a huge backlash on twitter and i and people were just angry like oh the poor journalist everything like that because it's a movie based on this journalist columnist who's getting death threats and everything and so she decides to take revenge on the trolls trolls who are sending her death threats and everything and kill them herself and it's a dark comedy about that but people were hating on it without just just seeing the trailer and just reading my little write-up and nobody sent me death threats or anything like that thank goodness no one sent me that so like why would you promote this film that sort of thing like that but it had like like 2000 quote retreats and that sort of thing and i was like whoa i hope i hope the editorial group at films the film stage is doing okay with this because <laughs> no one's really brought up me but that was one of the big things that got some of the biggest numbers on the on there and I was like well bad publicity still publicity so yeah, that's why yeah. I'm kind of proud of it that I was like I took it in stride so that was so that was very interesting to see and be like wow I forgot how much people hate journalists and <laughs> I thought it was just a video game journalist were the hated really hated ones not just like regular journalists period so that was interesting yeah I and I agree with you on uh on on Joker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, it, it was just too weighted down with like, there was no reasonable choice for him to mm -hmm. not do what he did, exactly. which like to me ruins your argument of, of kind of following somebody with, with a mental illness, because it's mm -hmm. not real. Like in real life, yeah. there's, there is always going to be someone to turn to like someone exactly. that's sympathetic like everyone was just terrible and uh and so of course he's gonna do that or one dimensional would. except for yeah. him i always say that the movie christine is mm -hmm. that is yes. i think exactly the same message as joker but better yes because it's about yeah. somebody mm -hmm. in the in the media that has a mental breakdown in a very public violent way mm -hmm. and they just do it so much better mm -hmm. than yeah. uh because you actually kind of you're kind of you you as a viewer you get sort of frustrated with her mm -hmm. and you're like she's not that likable of a character yeah and so you understand why the, the people in her life are kind of like um but then yeah. of course you don't want her to do what she does so it, it's just so much better than exactly. what they do with joker in my opinion but anyways um, Mana, what about you? What's something you've done that you're proud of? Um, well, during the pandemic, I kind of uh, sent out a tweet saying that if anyone wanted to uh, have me cover, you know, their movies or films, going to any festivals, uh, I took a gamble. I tweeted it was the worst that can happen, and I tweeted that out. So I got a DM from uh, this independent film and. and uh, the production company Rosary Media and they said can you please take a look at our feature film and that was like 
the first time that nice. has ever happened to me that I was covering it. And I was just like, Oh my God, I get to do this. So I, I was freaking out, but I, I did what I got, you know, what I had to do. So, um, I watched it. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I wrote the review and it was the first time that I actually saw a pull quote from, you know, my, my review. And I was just nice. like over the moon about it. And like to happen, you know, at that point, like I was only like 20, like 24 and like that happened. I was like, Oh my God, like, this is, this is awesome. So it was like a huge moment for Great. me. And then they were like sharing my work and, uh, you know, on, you know, multiple platforms, but to have that as like my first, you know, gamble that I took and that it actually mm-hmm. happened. And that, that, that movie that in that piece, like meant a lot to me. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really cool how that ended up happening. Um, and now I'm still in contact with like the director and, awesome. and the production company, but that that's one where it really stood out just because of the way it happened. And uh, then, you know, other opportunities came. So it was just really awesome and something that will stay with me for sure. That's so cool. I mean, I have, I've only had one pull quote myself. Uh, it was an indie film just this last uh, year. And that was, that was really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And like, even if it happens in the future, it's like, oh my God, it happened again. Mm -hmm. They'll just be happy about it. I'm just glad that you liked the movie because that's Mm -hmm. always the worst when you, because you have to be honest, you can't Mm -hmm. lie. Yeah. So it's like, oh man. Yeah. (laughs) I've had those moments where it's like, no, I can't sugarcoat this, but it is what it is why we do what we do right yeah that's right very cool well thank you so much ladies this was great getting a chance to get to know both of you and to talk about our experiences and i've just really enjoyed this so much and uh so molly where can people find you well i'm gonna be uh, i'm on twitter at razraspberry.com Raz Raspberry. So if you want to find me over there, there you can find me. And I also should have a profile on the film stage. I haven't written much for them, unfortunately. I need to get back on that, on that and write some more. But I am am part of that, part of that crew, sort of, Great. sort of in a sense. So yes. So yeah. Ramana, what about you? How can people find you? Yeah, well, first, thank you so much for having me on. This is a great discussion. You guys are both amazing, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, you guys can always find me over at AMX Ending Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can check out my YouTube channel, Candid Cinema, and my website, CandidXCinema.com. We'll have all that in the description section, so make sure you all follow. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Round Tomatoes, so please check that out. And then also check out the Hallmarkies podcast. You'll really enjoy all our coverage over there and uh, check out the merch store. We actually have female film critic panel merch, our logo on all different stuff. And it's pretty fun. I, I really like it. And then also check out the Patreon. I uh, really appreciate that support over there as well. And uh, thanks so much, ladies, so much. And if you're listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. And if you are watching on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. And we'll talk again next month. Bye everyone. Bye.